our service. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Somebody said, preacher, that's why men always make the coffee. So we're talking about this. So when the Bible is Hebrews, amen. And uh, you'll get that about lunchtime. Uh, we're in chapter 3 of Hebrews. We're going to look at the first 11 verses there in chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he hath builded the house, as much who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved, with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for this blessed book, and we thank you that you've inspired it and preserved it, uh, inerrant, infallible uh, for us today, that we might have the very word and words of God. Thank you that we can know that this book is is for sure. We have something that, that we can stand on and, and know it will never change. We praise you for it. Now we ask you as we spend time in your word that you would speak to hearts here today. Lord, I don't know the need of every person here today, but you do. And I know you're able to meet that need, and I pray that you would. I'm especially burdened, and most of us in this room are especially burdened for anybody who's here without Christ. For anyone who's here and who has never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they have no assurance of heaven when they die, that before they leave this place today, they allow us the privilege of taking the Bible and showing them how they can know they've been born again, been saved, and on their way to heaven. So, Lord, use this time in the hearts and lives of each person that's here today. Give me strength of voice. You know the need. And we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this, I've titled this, Harden Not Your Heart. Harden Not Your Heart. And in verse 8 it says, uh, or verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. One of the very foundational truths of the Bible is that God has given to every man, woman, and child a free will. Now, by the term free will is meant that God has given to man the opportunity to make choices in his life. When God created man, he did not pre-program man 
to always obey and please God. God does not want us to obey and please him because we must or because we have no choice. God wants us to obey him and please him because we love him and because we choose to do so. In our text for today, we find the writer of this epistle, and many believe it to be the Apostle Paul, but we're not certain. But he's writing to encourage and strengthen saved Jews who are now scattered and struggling due to persecution. The writer here seizes upon Jewish history to drive home a point. He reminds them of the Jews' exodus from Egypt, how God brought them out into the wilderness. But when they got out in the wilderness, they hardened their hearts towards God. That means they became stubborn and uncooperative with God. The result was that they missed out on all the great blessings God had for them in the promised land. Those who hardened their hearts were not allowed to enter the promised land. God said they would wander in the wilderness 40 years until they died. Today, there are many people who will miss out on the blessings of God because they've hardened their heart. These have refused to yield their will to God and to obey Him. These are folks who exercise their free will so, so as not to hear God and obey Him. And such individuals, we might say, are self-willed individuals. They put their will, they put their desires, they put their goals ahead of what God wants for them. Today, we must all purpose not to harden our hearts towards God. The Bible teaches that we are the clay and God is the potter and we are to yield to him. And I want to share with you some critical times when we must be careful not to harden our heart uh, towards the Lord. Number one, we must, must be careful not to harden our heart when you hear God's voice concerning your need to be saved. Let me begin by saying this. We all need to be saved. Every person in this room needs to be saved. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse uh, uh, 23, it says for, the, uh, for there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, in verse 10, and uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is in Romans 3.23. We're all a bunch of sinners and we need to understand that. We're all under God's condemnation. Go over to John, the book of John. And look at John chapter 3. And verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Listen, there's a condemnation on every man, woman, and child ever born, the condemnation of sin. Look at verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Listen, as an unsaved person, we're actually the enemies of God. And uh, we're all under the condemnation of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And that's what we deserve because we're sinners. We're all guilty before God and we deserve uh, death. And that death is not just physical death. It's an, 
eternal separation from God. And that's what we deserve because we're all sinners. But God has made a way for us to be saved. He sent Jesus to die on the cross as a, as to atone for the sins of mankind. And over in John 3, 16 and 17, we just read the verse, but I'm going to go over to 1 Peter. And you don't have to go there. I'm going to read you this verse. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. And Peter identifies there Jesus. He says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Jesus came to die on the cross of Calvary, not for anything he did, but for what, what we've done. And that we sing that song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. God sent Jesus to die for us, and God did that because God loves us, even though we're sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Over in Romans uh, chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God commended his love toward us, or shows or demonstrates his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see that God has made a way of salvation. And God offers all men everywhere the opportunity to be saved. For the wages of sin is death. But I love that that verse doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift from God. It cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. It, the only thing you can do with salvation is to either receive it or reject it. Listen. There are far too many people in this world who are trying to work their way to heaven. They're being religious. They're trying to be good. And, and, uh, and they think that somehow they're being good and being religious is going to earn them heaven. Not so. You know, this is a sad thought, that there are going to be a lot of good, moral, religious people who are going to die and go to hell. You say, preacher, you shouldn't say stuff like that. It's true. And the reason they're going to die and go to hell is because they were trusting their religion to get them into heaven rather than Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. Listen, we can't earn, we can't receive, we can't deserve heaven on our own merits. We must come God's way. And God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So he's made a way for each of us to be saved. All who will respond to God's invitation are going to be saved and have eternal life. I like Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And I love that picture that Jesus paints with those words. Uh, he stands at the door to our heart and he knocks. He wants to come into our heart and into our life. Listen, that's why he came. That's why he went to that cross. That's why he suffered like he did. Because he wants to save us, but he will not force himself on us. But he says, if you'll open that door of your heart, if you'll open your life to him and, and ask him to come into your life and into your heart and receive him, he says he will. He won't turn anybody away. And I'm so very thankful that uh, all who call upon him are going to be saved. I thought of Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no doubt in that statement. And it's a matter of calling upon the name of the Lord. 
all who will respond to that invitation. It is God who convicts hearts and moves in the hearts of people to bring them to Christ. Uh, He pricks our heart. He speaks to our heart. He draws us to him in our heart. But here's the sad truth. Many who have felt the conviction of God about their need to be saved have hardened their heart. By that I mean they've refused to, to surrender to God. These who refuse to yield to God, these have turned God away. And you know, they, they usually have an excuse. Some have sent, said no because they said, well, maybe some other time. I remember one morning as we finished the church service, I was greeting folks at the door. And uh, we had a teenage girl with us, and, and uh, she was new to us. And I asked her, have you, have you been saved? Uh, would you like somebody to talk to you about being saved today? And she said, no, not today, maybe next week. Well, next week she wasn't in church. And I don't know to this day whether that girl ever, ever, ever came to Christ or not. She said, maybe at another time. Listen, friend, you don't pick the time when you get saved. I want you to understand that. You get saved when God deals with your heart and you respond to him. And so it's very important if and when God deals with your heart about your need to be saved, don't put him off. He may never speak to your heart again. He says in his word, my spirit shall not always strive with a man. And you know, when when God calls, we need to respond. Many who have felt the conviction of God about their need to be saved have hardened their hearts. Some said perhaps another time. Some have refused because they refused to give up a certain sin, a habit, a relationship, or a lifestyle. Well, if I get saved, I'll have to give up, fill in the blank. Listen, friend, you don't have to give up anything to be saved. If you get saved, God will help you to give things over to him and, 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 and live the right kind of life. But uh, to say that I want to hang on to my sin or I want to hang on to my relationship or I want to hang on to my lifestyle or whatever it might be that would keep you from being saved, uh, you're, you're just saying you want to die and go to hell. Hmm. And that's not God's will for you. He's loved you and he's made a way of salvation. Salvation requires that a person yield to the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful not to harden our heart when God's, we hear God's voice concerning your need to be saved. And then we need not to harden our heart when God reveals truth to us from his word. Hmm. In John 17, 17, Jesus said this, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And you know, if if you read the Bible, you'll find that there are many wonderful, wonderful truths to be found in the the Bible. One of the greatest truths you'll find in this book is is the, the truth of God's love, grace, and mercy that he's shown to us. But you won't know anything about that unless you get your nose in this book and find out about it here from the Word of God. And then the Word of God has many promises uh, for us and for His children. 
what we go through here and promises like uh, God will make all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Promises like whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Promises like my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, but promises like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And on and on we could go with promises we find in the word of God that are for his people. And in the Word of God, we find the revelation of things yet to come. Uh, we call it eschatology. There you can go out of here today and say you learned a big, uh, uh, a big word, um, theological word. I was trying to think of that word. You've learned a big theological word, eschatology. That's the study of things yet to come. And the Bible has, tells us many things that are still in the future. You know, people go to palm readers and people go to tea leaf readers and people go to their horoscope trying to find out uh, the future. Listen, friend, nobody knows the future but God. If somebody's telling you they know your future, uh, mark it off. They're a liar straight from the pit of hell. God knows the future, though. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow and a thousand years from now. And he's told us many things in the word of God that are yet future. He told us there's going to be a rapture. How many of you know what the rapture is? Hold up your hand. How many of you are looking forward to the rapture? Yeah, I'd rather go that way than the undertaker. Amen? Well, what do you mean? Well, when the rapture happens, those who are alive and remain are going to be caught up uh, in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says. That fast, we're going to be caught up into heaven. Uh, for those who died uh, previous to that, their bodies are going to come out of the grave, and they're, they're going to join us as we all go to heaven to be with Jesus and uh, to experience that marriage supper of the Lamb, and, and then to come back with him uh, later, seven years later, to rule and reign for a thousand years in his earthly kingdom. These are all future things. And then to, to see God destroy the, the heavens and the earth and create a new heaven and a new earth for us to live in forever and ever. These are all things we find in the Bible. But listen, there are many things that convict us in God's word as well. There's wonderful promises, and I've given you a few, and we, we could be here for hours just citing the promises of God. But God also convicts us through the things we find in his word. When you start reading the Bible, God's going to pinpoint your sin. He reproves us of our sin. God's word reveals those areas in our Christian walk that we're weak or deficient in. He reproves and he rebukes. And then God's word reveals what is acceptable to God and what is unacceptable to God. It gives us his commandments, his standards, his laws for his children. Listen, it doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what does God say? You know, I'm glad I've said many, many times, this is my rule book for my life. I don't go by what society says. I don't go by what the culture says. I don't, I don't even go by what my wife says. Amen. I go by what God says. And uh, we find it in the Bible. You can stand on it. You can be sure of it. Listen, I'm distressed that so many Christians nowadays are abandoning what God says and accepting what the culture or, or what the society says. No, 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 a thousand times no. Uh, listen, society is going to change. Hello? Culture is going to change. 
You know, they, they, they keep culture changing because uh, that way they have, we have to spend more money to keep up with it. Hmm? I was just thinking about, uh, I remember when I first got saved, uh, miniskirts were the rage. And all the women were running out and buying miniskirts. Well, you know, that lasted just a couple of years. The next thing that happened was the, the maxi dresses came and, and women were buying dresses down to their ankles. And so now they had to throw away all their miniskirts. Now they had to get dresses down to their ankles. And then pretty soon the knee length came back. And, and I'm just illustrating how styles change and culture changes. Uh, I've shared with you before how when I was a, a youngster growing up, uh, a divorce was something that, that was, was just uh, taboo. Families didn't want divorce in their family. And, uh, and if you had a divorce in your family somewhere, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a, a black mark on your, on your family. But nowadays we have uh, divorce without no-fault divorce. And uh, uh, when I was a child and you wanted to get a divorce, you had to go to court and you had to give a reason. And it had to be a good reason. Nowadays, you don't have to give a reason. You just were sick of each other. Amen. And uh, want a divorce. See how culture has changed? How about with the homosexual thing? Listen, when I was a child, the homosexual stayed in the closet. Now, they were still there. They've always been there. But that lifestyle was not acceptable to society. And it still shouldn't be. And I say that because it's not acceptable with God. But society is saying, oh, it's okay. As a matter of fact, they're teaching our young people to go in that direction. Hmm. They've taken over our learning institutions, and from a tender age, they're, they're schooling these kids, and you can decide whether you want to be a boy or a girl. Now, that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell, because the moment you're born, it's decided whether you're a boy or a girl. And nowadays, you don't even have to wait till you're born. We have uh, seven grandchildren and five greats, one more on the way. Now, when we had our children, you had to wait till you had your baby to find out what you had. You didn't know whether to paint the baby's room yellow, blue, green, purple. Uh, was it going to be a boy or a girl? You didn't know. But nowadays, uh, just a couple of months in, you can, go, you can go get an ultrasound, and they can tell you whether you got a boy or you got a girl. Listen, that's decided for you before you're ever born. I, I can't get these people to say, well, I just think today I'm going to be a woman. I want to say this carefully. You don't have what it takes to be a woman. And if you're a woman, you don't have what it takes to be a man. And God made you that way. And so you can argue with it. You can, and society can say there's, there's nothing wrong. Boy, this thing about men dressing up like women. Transgenderism. It's becoming so prevalent and it's acceptable. And now we want to let them use uh, the bathroom of their choice. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but now the schools, the public schools, have to make their locker rooms available to the young people uh, based on whatever they're thinking that they are, a man or a woman. Boyertown School District went to court because one young man went home 
And uh, they, the, the school had put this into effect, and there were girls in his locker room, and he was uncomfortable with that. And he went home and told his parents, and they went to court. Well, it went to the Supreme Court, and they said, Boyertown's doing the right thing. You've got to open your locker rooms to, to whatever gender they want to say they are. That's sick. But see how society changes. When I was a child, uh, we might have dreamed of stuff like that, but that would never happen. Amen? I mean, I'm being honest. A young fellow would dream that that would be the case, but it wasn't going to happen. But too many Christians are basing their what they do and what they don't do and what they feel and don't feel based on what does society say? What, what does the government say? What, do, what does the culture say? What does fashion say? Listen, it doesn't matter. We need to get back to the Word of God and live by what does God say? Now, let me clarify something. I don't hate homosexuals. I'm burdened for them because, because they're going to die and go to hell if they don't get saved just like everybody else. I don't hate them, but I hate the sin because it's wrong and it ruins society. Every society that's ever legalized that and practiced that openly has, has fallen and gone into decay. Listen, friend, we need to start getting in the Word of God, find out what does God have to say. And what he says is acceptable is acceptable. What he says isn't, isn't. And then, you know, here's what I'm finding, and this saddens me. Most, uh, there are just far too many believers who rebel against the truths they find in the Word of God. When they're confronted by the truths of God's Word, they refuse to yield themselves to it. We're in a day and age where people don't like what the Word of God says, and they don't want to agree with what God has to say was in some place, and so they'll go find a church that waters down the Word of God and don't preach it like it is. So they can be comfortable in their sin. And I'm sad because I see far too many churches today, churches that used to stand for what's right and what the Bible says, uh, watering it down now. They're afraid of losing their crowd. And so they water it down to, to make it more acceptable. Listen, that should not happen. Some sort search out a church uh, that waters down the Word of God or compromises its truths. And there's a proliferation of those kind of churches today. I'm so distressed when I see pictures of churches that have turned their platform where the preacher's supposed to be. And, and you know, it looks like a nightclub. And uh, they get the rock band going there. And they get some of them get the flag girls and, and the, the praise team and all this kind of nonsense going on. All of it... Uh, just not what God wants. We need, we, need to, we need to just stay where God wants us to be and, and be where the truth is being preached. Some look for a church that will water it down. Others refuse to yield to the Lord, just flat out rebel. And some just harden their heart and live in rebellion. There are a lot of Christians who know what the Bible says about something, but they refuse to yield to God in the matter. Hmm. Let me illustrate. It's very clear in God's Word that God says a believer should never marry an unbeliever. That's what God says. I didn't make the rule. He did. But how many times do we find Christians marrying somebody outside the Christian faith? Hmm? 
God's made it very clear. God's made it very plain that that's not what we should do. But especially, you know, young girls are especially vulnerable to this. They meet up with some Ahab who's, who's not saved, you know, and, and uh, they just think he's, he's everything. He's, he's, all, he's the one. And then they want to get married to this guy who's not saved, and they are saved. And you try to counsel them and say, no, 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 a thousand times no. Oh, well, well, I believe if I marry him, he will get saved. I'll be an influence on him. No, you won't. I've seen it over and over again. What will happen is he'll get you out of church and get you away from the Lord. But people say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Listen, that's hardening your heart. When, when you see something in the Bible that God says and it don't line up with you and your life, you need to change you and your life because God's word isn't going to change. Hmm. I cited uh, this idea of marrying an unbeliever. Uh, let, me, let me go where most of you expect me to go. Uh, I'm going to talk about tithing. God's word says you should tithe. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to agree with it or not, the Bible says we're supposed to tithe. What's a tithe? 10% of everything he prospers us with, we're supposed to give back to him. By the way, get the right perspective. He gives us 100%, and he tells us, just give me 10% back, you keep 90. That's what God says. And he says when we tithe, that he will bless us abundantly. Go over to Malachi 3. That's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Sometimes we call him the only Italian in the Bible, Malachi. Amen. And uh, Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to look at verses 7 and, and following. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? You know what they're saying? God's, God's con, con, condemning them for what they've been doing. They say, oh, what are we doing wrong? Well, God's about to tell them. He says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour, out you, pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So the tithe belongs to God. And a lot of times Christians say, well, I just don't believe that. And I've heard this one. Well, that's in the Old Testament. Well, uh, over in Corinthians, we're told to bring the tithes into the storehouse on the first day of the week as God has prospered us. And in the New Testament, Jesus commends the, the scribes and the Pharisees because they tithe. Uh, uh, but people say, oh, I just don't believe that. Well, don't practice it then. But you're going to miss the blessing. See, that's, that's the thing about tithing. When you, when you learn to trust God and give him what he says is his, then he opens the windows of heaven and he pours blessings out on you. And not always financially, but blessings on you. 
we had a blessing this past week that, that far exceeds any financial blessing we could have. We got a call that our, our great-grandson and our great-granddaughter got saved this past week. Now, they're just little guys, but they, they, they were concerned, and they were reading Bible stories, and they started asking questions, and uh, our granddaughter was able to lead them to Christ. Listen, there's no money that can buy that. And those are the kind of blessings God can pour out on us if we'll just line ourselves up with what he says. Quit reading your Bible and disagreeing with it. Learn to agree with what God said. We need to be careful not to harden our hearts when we hear God's voice concerning our need for salvation, when God reveals truth to us from his word, when God convicts our heart about a particular sin. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Quench not the Spirit. What that's talking about there is when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, don't quench him. Agree with him and, and do whatever he's telling you to do. And it is the Holy Spirit who convicts our heart. He's the one who convicts us of our sin. Hmm? He convicts us uh, of God's will for us. He convicts us when we, of, not just of our sin. By the way, it's the Holy Spirit who points out sin in our life. This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. This. Say amen. But then it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us when we sin. What are you talking about? Have you ever said something unkind to somebody, and as soon as the words got out of your mouth, you felt it here? And the Holy Spirit said to you, shame on you. That's conviction. Did you ever do something you knew you shouldn't do, that it's against God's word, and you feel it right here? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And see, when he convicts us, we're supposed to, we're supposed to respond to the conviction. But so many Christians just harden their heart. Believers often harden their heart when they're under conviction. That means they refuse to listen. They refuse to yield. They rebel against the Holy Spirit's leadership. It might be they, they refuse to forsake a certain sin. Sometimes we have sin in our life that has a stronghold. And we don't really want to give it up. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we need to come. I remember I, I had a sin in my life. I used uh, tobacco. I smoked cigarettes when I got saved. I don't brag on that. But I did. My whole family did. Before I got saved, my whole family, uh, everybody in the house smoked. Of course, it was a different day and age with the tobacco industry, etc. But that's kind of how I grew up, so I started smoking. And when I got saved, I still had the cigarette habit. And, you know, it took me over a year to deal with that. And I tried, but I couldn't get the victory. But I knew it was wrong, and I knew God didn't want me doing that. You know, ultimately, one day, Pastor Videnda preached a message that got a hold of my heart. And as soon as that invitation was given, I was at the altar, and I was just telling the Lord, I'm done with tobacco. And from that day to this, I've been done with tobacco. But what I have to do, I had to yield to the Holy Spirit. He's the one that convicted me. He's the one that said, you need to just give it up, get up there to the altar and give it over to God. I'm so glad I did. I love it when I go to the doctor and they say, uh, do you drink alcohol? No. Do you use tobacco? No. 
I love it when I can think how those many, many years ago, God gave me a victory. Amen? By the way, I don't know who in here might be smoking cigarettes or dipping snuff or smoking cigars or a pipe or, or whatever, but I'm just telling you, God says in his word it's wrong for us to use tobacco because it harms our body. Amen? And we need to line up with that. Sometimes I refuse to forsake a certain sin or refuse to yield to God in some other way. Maybe God speaks to you about doing something for him. Maybe God will speak to you about, hey, some of you don't come back to church on Sunday night. Maybe God will convict you and say, hey, you need to be in church on Sunday night. It may be Wednesday night. Maybe some of you haven't been going out soul winning on Saturday like we go, and the Holy Spirit saying to you, hey, you need to be a part of that. You need to go tell other people the great news that Jesus saves, and that's what soul winning is all about. Maybe he's calling you to be a, a, a worker in the church, or, or, or maybe he's calling you to be a missionary. Who knows? But when God calls, we need to answer. I think about Samuel. You know, he was just a lad, and he went to bed one night uh, there when he was serving with, with uh, 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 Eli in the temple. And uh, he, went, he was serving in the temple, and he went to bed one night, and he heard a voice, Samuel, Samuel. And uh, he didn't know what it was all about. He thought Eli was calling him. That happened three times. And three times he went to Eli, what do you want? And Eli finally caught on what was going on. He said, that's God speaking to you. When he speaks, say, your servant hears. And so the next time he heard that voice, Samuel, Samuel, he said, speak for thy servant heareth. That's how we ought to be. God, speak because I'm listening to what you have to say and wanting to do what you want me to do. Sometimes people refuse to witness to somebody or to help somebody in some way when God's speaking to their heart about it. And uh, uh, you, listen, have you ever been in a situation where God says, give that person a track? Or maybe speak to that person. And so often we're intimidated and we say, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. We need to listen to him. Finally, we need to be careful not to harden our heart when God convicts our heart about a certain matter. I'm sorry. When you undergo the chastening of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, go over there if you will. We started in Hebrews 3. Go over to Hebrews 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, I want to look at verse 4. He says, ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Listen, friend, God will chasten Christians who refuse to live the right kind of life. God can and does chasten us. And we need to understand this. God doesn't chasten us because he's mad at us. 
You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in another religion. Most of you aware of that in the Catholic Church. But the image I had of God was some big ogre up there who watched uh, what I did and was waiting to zap me when I did something wrong. Well, that's not the God we have. We have a God who loves us. And if you're a child of his, that means you've been saved. He wants, he wants to help you to do the right thing and be the right way. And so oftentimes uh, what he has to do is chasten us when we've gone wrong. And he will do that. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says the same thing. Uh, I'm going to go over You don't have to. But Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 tell us this. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he, chaste, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. We need, to, we need to respond to chastening. And you know, chastening of the Lord is not a pleasant thing. What's that mean? It means uh, we go through hardships and difficulties and, and, and negative things because God's trying to get our attention. But God's not angry with us. He's not trying to get even with us. What he's trying to do is discipline us to get us back to where we need to be. He's allowing us to go through trials and tribulations and problems and hurts and heartaches and that we might see that we need to get back where we need to be spiritually. Many believers harden their hearts when God's chasing them. Listen, when, when he chastens, we have to respond in the right way. Far too many Christians uh, respond improperly to the chastening of the Lord. Some, sometimes they get, get, get angry with God. I've met some people who things happened in their life and God was trying to chasten them and get them back to where they need to be and, and they got angry, got angry at God. And uh, then sometimes they, they get, get further and further away from him. And uh, the further away you get from him, the deeper the, the trouble you're in is going to be, the more the chastening comes and so it's, it's kind of like we're, 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 you know, hitting ourselves and saying it hurts, but we don't quit. Sometimes people get further from him and deeper into trouble. They get out of church, they quit serving, they quit reading their Bible, they quit praying, etc. And that only brings more chastening. We need to be sensitive to God in times of chastening. Here's what we need to do. If God's chastening you, number one, you need to identify the reason for it. Over in Psalm 51, David had, had been confronted by Nathan the prophet and, and about his sin, and he was under conviction. And he goes in, in Psalm 51, and he says, Against thee and against thee only have I sinned. He acknowledged his sin. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to cover it up. He didn't try to make excuses for it. He admitted his sin. And when we're in chastening and we sense that the Lord's chastening us, we need to find out why. And we need, we need, by the way, you probably know the reason uh, right away anyway, but we need, to, we need to discern and figure out why am I under the chastening of the Lord. And then we need to repent and confess and turn from it so that God can bless us. Hardening your heart. Listen, God says we're not to harden our heart. And the question this morning to each of us is this, have you hardened your heart towards God? Have you had him speak to you convict you, deal with you in some area of your life where you've been stubborn and uncooperative with him? If so, you need, you need to confess that and ask him to forgive you.
and quit hardening your heart. Maybe you've never, never been saved. Maybe you're here and God's speaking to you today about your need to be saved and come to Christ so that you can go to heaven when you die. Don't harden your heart. Respond. And that's what we're supposed to do. Will you submit to God for salvation? Or Listen, maybe, maybe you've been saved, you haven't been baptized. Will you submit for baptism? Will you surrender yourself to church membership? Will you yield to him for service in some way that he's talking to you about? Will you forsake that sin that he's put his finger on today? Will you quit hardening your heart and let God do what he wants to do in you and with you and through you? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you, you love us so much you gave your only begotten son to go to that cross of Calvary and die in our place so that we might be saved. And Lord, we thank you for this blessed book and the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives as, as you show us truth from your word and the Holy Spirit convicts us. But Lord, we need to be a people who, who will not harden our heart towards you, but will we'll be soft and pliable in your hands. Now, I don't doubt that in this room there's unsaved people. And Father, we want to see them come to Christ. We want to see them get saved so that they can know heaven's their, their eternal destiny. And I don't doubt that there's Christians in this room who have hardened their heart in certain areas of their life. And this morning you've spoken to them. You've pricked their heart. The Holy Spirit's done his, his work. And now I pray that they'll make the decisions you want them to make. And they'll not harden their heart, but yield to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes.